Well, the passage this morning comes from Revelation 13. Now give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Would you please be seated? Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask this morning as we look at your word that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We thank you for revealing yourself to us through the scriptures. We thank you that you have demonstrated yourself to be faithful, have illustrated the story of redemption which we now play a part in as your people. And we ask this morning on this Resurrection Sunday 
that you, O Lord God, would guide our minds and our hearts, that you would guide my words, that the Word of God would be living and active, dividing between bone and marrow, that your Word would penetrate deep into our hearts, and by the work of your Spirit, you would show us more and more of yourself this morning. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord, and it's in His name we ask all of these things. Amen. Well, I know what you're thinking. This is not the typical Easter morning passage that we read every Easter Sunday. No, it's not. It's not even close, is it? Not even close. Um, the, the story of the beast from the earth and the beast from the sea, how in the world will this ever relate to Easter Sunday. You're probably thinking, what in the world is this pastor doing? Right? And now, if you're a visitor, first of all, uh, welcome to Mercy. We're glad that you're here, that you've joined us to worship the Lord. We hope that you'll return. There's many things you'll probably need to learn about us in the meantime. One of those things is that we preach uh, through uh, books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, and we don't typically alter course for the calendars of man, Okay. So this is a Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Every Sunday we have the opportunity to do that. It's a, it's a good Sunday. Easter Sunday is a good Sunday. But we continue through the passages that we've been reading now for months and months. We're in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, and this morning we come to the two beasts. little secret this morning I want you to know, though. As we read this passage, I think by the end of the morning, you will walk away with a better understanding of how this chapter intimately connects with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's actually very fitting for this Sunday. So I hope you'll see that as we go through this passage. Listen, this morning we're reading Revelation chapter 13. We're continuing a story that began in Revelation 12. So if you weren't here last week, in Revelation chapter 12 we were introduced to three characters. There was the woman, there was the child, and there was the dragon. And the story that now continues is picking up on the story of the dragon. So all this is connected to the dragon that we met in Revelation chapter 12. Now one thing you must know about Revelation, if you're unfamiliar with the book, is this. It's a prophetic apocalyptic book, which is a bunch of jargon for our purposes this morning. The, the most important part is this means it will read like a parable. Parable just like the parables that Jesus shared, right? Jesus had many parables that he spoke and he gave to his followers and each of those parables was a figurative, illustrative story with characters. And these are true events, but it is representative figures telling us something about the actual events and the actual story. So much of Revelation is a parable. It's a story about true characters, but illustrative figures. Last week, we were introduced to one of those characters, the dragon. Now, here's what we're going to do this morning. I think this will be very helpful. I think you'll enjoy this as we go through Revelation 13, and I think by the end of the morning, you have a much clearer picture of what's going on in chapter 12 and 13 and 14. This morning, we're going to make a chart of comparison, okay? If you have the insert in your bulletin, you'll see there there's a there's two titles at the top, the counterfeit hope and the authentic hope. That's what we're doing this morning. We will compare... The counterfeits, all right, which we will read about in chapter 13, 
And as we read about the counterfeits, it will actually tell us something more about the authentic version which is being compared in these chapters as we read these accounts, okay? So I'll give you an example of how this is going to work. And, you know, actually, before I get there, let me tell you, this is the big question we're going to ask this morning. And I, and I would like for you all to ask this question. By, we, by the time we get to the end, I think you'll see why this is important. The question is, uh, by which story are we living our lives, okay? Are we living our lives according to the counterfeit version, or are we living our lives according to the authentic, genuine, real story? You'll see how those things are compared this morning. The, the first example of a counterfeit that we got actually came in chapter 12, and it is the dragon. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember a number of things about that dragon uh, that we were introduced to last week in the, the uh, allegorical story that began to be un, uh, told and unfolded in chapter 12, we're told that there was a woman about to give birth and that the dragon was standing there waiting to devour her child. And we said as we read that passage, there's a number of characteristics about this dragon that are very prominent and stand out to us. He's a red dragon. He has seven heads and seven crowns, which is a, a symbol of, of his a seeming wisdom and his authority, those crowns on his head, a picture of authority of this dragon. And in the, the picture in Revelation 12, we really got the idea that this dragon is up to no good, okay? He's waiting to devour the child. He makes war with the people of God. He only wants to prevent the unfolding of the plan of redemption in the course of history. So we, making our own conclusion, said this appears to be a, a a pretty dastardly character, okay? He's a bad guy. Now, helpfully, last week, in chapter 12, verse 9, all right, that's where John tells us, whether or not you picked up on it, the dragon is a picture of Satan himself, okay? So we have that. It's given to us. We've just made the connection. We have a counterfeit version. He's the dragon. He's a representative, figurative picture of Satan, all right? Now, listen, the Bible teaches us very clearly that Satan is an actual, real creature created by God. He was an angel. He wanted to be God. He was expelled from heaven, and now he works waging war against the people of God. His judgment is sure, and yet he still wages this war. That's the dragon. The dragon appears in chapter 13. You probably saw him mentioned in verse 2 and in verse 3. He specifically appears here, he's giving his authority, and he's giving his dominion, and he's giving a throne to the first beast who's mentioned. In a second, we'll talk about the first beast, but let's just draw a comparison for a second. The dragon is the authentic version of what character in Scripture, okay? This is a pretty easy one, so hopefully you don't stumble over this. The dragon is the counterfeit version of God the Father, right? That's, that's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? Okay? Uh, the dragon, the representative figure, character of Satan himself, is desiring to steal all that is God's, right? He wants the power of God, and, and he wants the dominion of God, and he wants the authority of God, and he appears to rule, and he appears to have all power and all wisdom but as we've read the book of Revelation, we've actually seen the being who has all these things, right? Beginning in Revelation 4, John says, I saw one seated on a throne, clothed in a rainbow. 
and thunder went out from his throne, and he stood before the, or he sat before the glassy sea, and all the creatures of heaven, they waited on him day and night, and they carried out his will, and in the hand of God the Father was the plan for all of history. Whereas the dragon tries to manipulate the events of history, it is God the Father who has authored and ordained all the events that come to pass, okay? And so the dragon is the counterfeit version of God the Father. That's how he's presented in Revelation 12 and 13. It's going to be important for our conversations this morning. The next character that appears in this chapter would be the first beast. First beast is described in verses 1 through 10. It says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Let me point out a few observations about the first beast, and then we can talk about what's going on with the first beast. First of all, the first beast appears to be in the image of the dragon, doesn't it? The dragon has heads, the beast has heads, the dragon has horns, the beast has horns, the dragon has crowns, the beast has crowns, and it's clear as we get to verse 2 that the authority and the dominion and everything that is true of the dragon is now being given to the beast. Okay, so the beast is the, the understudy, right? The subservient version uh, carrying out the will of the dragon. That's the depiction that is given of the first beast. In verse 2 and 3, there's a description there of the beast, and he's got the appearance of a leopard and of a bear, and, and, uh, and we've got these descriptions of animals. Hold on to that. We're going to come back to that. That's really important, actually. But hold on to that. Don't want to talk about that right now. In a few minutes, we'll talk about that number of other things about, about the first beast, right? He is given a throne. He has some authority. He is given dominion by the dragon. One of the, probably the most stunning and interesting thing about the first beast is, as we're reading in verse 4 and 5, uh, it tells us that in verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, okay? So you get this picture. The first beast has been wounded. It appears to be mortally wounded, and then miraculously it has the power. It lives, right? If that doesn't sound like something that we're all celebrating this morning, I don't know what would, okay? It sounds strikingly similar to the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't it? It's for a very intentional reason. One other thing I want to point out about the first beast and maybe clarify something you've been wondering for the last few weeks is this first beast has a, a, a limited authority. Limited authority. It says in uh, verse 5, I believe, it says that uh, the, the beast was given a mouth and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's what I just wrote there, 42 months, okay? The last few weeks, people have been coming up to me after the service and saying, that was, that was a great sermon, but what's with the 1,260 days or the 42 months or the time, the times and a half time? Really confused. And I said, okay, hold on. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get... Today, we'll get there, okay? All, all these number phrases, whether you realize it or not, all these number phrases, it's the same amount of time. So uh, in, in chapter 10, it said 1,260 days. In chapter 11 and 10 and 11, 1,260 days. All right, the last chapter before this in chapter 12, it said uh, time, times, and a half time, okay? And that's kind of like, I, I like the way that's said. It feels like a Tolkien novel or something, like 
uh, really elaborative language, all, all to say something very simple. But these are all the same amount of times. I don't know if you've done the math, right? Okay, 42 months, that's three and a half years. 1,260 days, that's three and a half years, okay, uh, on the Hebrew calendar. If you're using a Roman calendar, you'll be off by like 30 days. But three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time, right? Time is one year, times is two years, a half a time is a half year. It's three and a half years. Every depiction in the last four chapters of the, the impact or the reign or the authority of the beast, of the dragon, of Satan himself, and of the suffering of the saints, prolonging the return of Christ until the day of judgment, all of those descriptions have been of three and a half years. You take them all, they all said the same thing. Three and a half years. I should write that. Three and a half years. Right here. Three and a half years. What does that mean? It, it means exactly what it says here in verse 5, right? Uh, he was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. Okay, so... The beast who has authority is being permitted. It's not his own authority. He's being permitted to exercise authority for three and a half years. Not a magic number. What is it? It's half of seven, okay? Everything we've read in Revelation about God has been seven. There's seven spirits, and there's seven churches, and there's seven angels, and, and God's work is perfect, so it's depicted with seven. That's the, you know, he, he makes a week. It's seven days. Everything with God, the number is a figurative representation of his perfection, of his completeness. Three and a half is half of that. That's, that's it, okay? And it means it is, it's the incomplete number. It's, it's half of perfect. It goes hand in hand with the fact that we're looking at the counterfeit versions in chapter 13. That the dominion of Satan is incomplete. That it's not perfect. That it's limited. That it has a beginning and an end ordained by God. That it's the very opposite of everything God the Father is and does. Now listen. What's the authentic version of the first beast? This is, it should be easy, right? It should be easy. This is God the Son. Okay, we, we see that for so many reasons. Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, he's described as the exact image of God the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The first beast wears ten crowns. The Bible says that Christ Jesus has been given many crowns. That's why we sing, crown him with many crowns. The beast is given a throne and given authority and power and dominion from the dragon. Christ Jesus, John chapter 5, says that he's been given dominion and authority and a throne from his father. That he might rule. That's Jesus Christ. right? And maybe the most fitting image. Again, the beast who's wounded, appears miraculously to be healed. That's a cheap, counterfeit version of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't just wounded. He's crucified on a cross. All the people said he's dead. He's dead. He's truly dead. They took his body down. They buried him in the tomb. He laid there for three days. They assumed that his body was beginning to decay, and it was. And they went on the third day, and he had resurrected over the grave. That's the authentic version of what's being described about the first beast in this passage. Look at the second beast. Second beast, we begin talking about him or hearing about him in verse 11. I want to give him a different name. If you read, if you continue reading through Revelation, you'll find that he's called here the, a second beast. But you get to chapter 16 and chapter 19 and chapter 20, three different instances he's given a different name. 
The second beast is called the false prophet. Chapter 16, chapter 19, and chapter 20, the false prophet. And isn't that a fitting description for him? Look at the description of here, of him here in this passage. You see what he's doing. He, in verse 12, he's exercising all the authority of the first beast. He's making all people to worship the beast. In verse 13, he performs great signs, even makes fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. By the signs, it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, and it deceives those who dwell on the earth. If you look down even further, it talks about he also appears to give life to the beast. He appears to give life, okay? It's the, the false prophet of the unholy trinity, right? It's the one who appears to have signs and wonders, appears to bring miraculous signs from heaven, appears to give life to the first beast and to the dragon, and causes people to worship him by threat of death. And that's the, the depiction of the false prophet in this passage. Now, you, you know what's coming, I'm, I'm sure. Okay, this is, a, this is a counterfeit version of God the Spirit. It's a counterfeit version of God the Spirit. Everything that's being said of the second beast is a counterfeit version of the work of the Spirit of God. You think about this, right? The Spirit of God is the one who works miraculous signs and wonders, but they're, they're authentic. Right, they're from heaven. Uh, we see this in the life of Christ. Christ is always talking about being dependent upon the Spirit. Right? When Jesus ascends to heaven, he sends the Spirit. And the Spirit comes with signs and wonders from heaven. The Spirit is working out the will of God in this world. Think about this. The false prophet appears to give life to the beast. Okay? Appears to give life to the beast. What does it say what does the Word of God say the Spirit of God does among the people of God? The Spirit of God works within us to take our heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. The Spirit of God revives the soul. The Spirit of God gives life to dead people. The Spirit of God works where there is no life to give life and produce faith and repentance. This is a comparison between the counterfeit version of the Spirit of God and the authentic version. Let me just give you one more example, and then we'll, we'll talk about what this means. In the next four chapters, it doesn't appear in chapter 13, but in the next four chapters, you're going to be introduced to another character, and her name is Babylon the prostitute, okay? She's going to appear next week. Babylon the prostitute appears next week in chapter 14, and then you'll see her in chapter 15, in chapter 16, and chapter 17. Babylon the prostitute is described in the next chapter as the woman, representative picture of a, a collection of people, the people of the earth, as a woman who loves the sensuality and the pleasure of this world, okay? And she's enjoying the earth and all that the earth has to offer, and she's living it up. For today we live and tomorrow we die. So we might as well enjoy life as much as we can while on this earth. That's the picture of Babylon the prostitute in chapter 14. In chapter 15, when she comes up again, here's what chapter 15 says about her. 
Babylon the prostitute was made to drink the cup of the wrath of God. Chapter 15, very strong language, isn't it? Babylon the prostitute, made to drink the cup of the wrath of God. She is a picture of the people of the world who have rebelled against God and continue to live in their sin, satisfied with the things of this world and want nothing to do with the living God. It's a counterfeit version of the people of God. And how are the people of God described in Revelation? You know this. They're the bride, right? The bride of Christ. What a beautiful picture in comparison to Babylon the prostitute, the bride of Christ being adorned with white robes and linens prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb. She who is being made ready to meet the bridegroom. What a beautiful picture. That's us. If you're in Christ Jesus, if you've trusted him by faith, that's us. Authentic version of the people of God. Okay? Now listen, what do we do with this? That's what Revelation 13 means. It's what we're going to see in the next few chapters. But what do we do with this? I said earlier, you've got to ask yourself the question, which story am I living by? Which story defines me? Which story have I bought into? And that's an important question, but let me tell you what the danger is. Here's the danger. It's a very simple danger. The danger is that the counterfeit versions so often appear to be so similar to the authentic. Don't they? They appear to be so similar that we can be so easily fooled. I mean, we... You, you read about the dragon and the beast, what you find is the dragon appears to have power and authority and dominion, that the first beast appears to have been wounded and, and healed from his wounds, and he exercises his dominion, and he appears to have great power, and the false prophet works signs and wonders, and he seems to give life, and Babylon the prostitute appears to be living it up and enjoying life and satisfied with the things of this world. Those counterfeit versions, appear to be so similar to the authentic that if we're not careful and vigilant, we'll be so easily deceived. That's the, the message that's being communicated. It is why verse 10 says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. The counterfeit version is so similar to the authentic version. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 2. Many antichrists have come, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son? The devil is working through the counterfeit versions, the counterfeit versions of hope in this world to deceive a people and to lead them to destruction because misery loves company. 
And the devil is trying to steal the glory of God the Father. Let me ask you a question. What are these, what are these representative pictures of in our world? Let me give you just a few examples. Just think about this for a second. What's the false prophet do? The, the false prophet appears uh, with signs and wonders to draw people away from God to a counterfeit hope. Okay? The, the false prophet appears to have signs and wonders. Think about this. There's a lot of things in our society that appear to do this. Modern medicine, technology, science, right? All of it is saying, and it, it's, it's, it's good if it's used for good, but too often all of it is saying to us, look at us, we're our own gods. We control our own destiny. We make life and we make it what we want it to be. We have authority over all creation by signs and wonders. Being demonstrated before the people. We're being drawn into the belief that we are our own gods. It's a counterfeit version of the false prophet. What about the first beast? Right, if the false prophet is performing signs and wonders, being appealed to by the wonders of this world, what's, what's the representative picture of the first beast? Well, I told you this was important, the description in verse 2. It says, the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Does that description ring a bell with anyone? You can shake your head if it does, or you can shake your head if it doesn't. Nobody's shaking their head. Yeah, okay, good, John. Shaking his head. Thank you, John. Uh, we remember how we talked about Scripture. You have to understand Scripture if you're to interpret the book of Revelation. You go all the way back, Daniel chapter 7, right? Daniel 7, Daniel sees a statue. And you remember the statue that he sees, one part leopard, one part lion, one part bear, and then there was a, you know, kind of a hideous beast. That was the other part, Okay. So these are all mentioned in Daniel 7. It is no coincidence that they come up again in, in Revelation chapter 13. Of course it's not a coincidence. And in Daniel chapter 7, you remember what that was a picture of. It was clear from Daniel 7. These are the, the powers of the world, and one represents Rome, and one represents Greece, and one represents Babylon, and, and this statue that represents the power of the world is being crushed by the stone, which is the, the picture of Jesus Christ, and he comes and establishes his kingdom. It's a same representative picture here, okay? The governments and the powers and the authorities of this world, which are setting themselves up as the gods, and, and they are dictating what happens, and they are saying to you, salvation is found in us. If you'll just follow us, and if you'll just do what we say, right? And, you know, this was, this was very real and manifest for the first century Christian church, wasn't it? You saw there, as it was talking about the second beast, it said, you know, the second beast was preventing them from selling their goods in the marketplace. The first century church would have said, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. The Roman authorities have said, you will worship the emperor, and when we refuse to, we can't sell our goods, and when we can't sell our goods, we go into poverty, and when we go into poverty, we starve and we die. It's exactly what was happening in the first century church. But this first beast is a picture to us of any authority and any appeal to authority. And that can be governments, but it can also be movements, right? And it can be religions of the world that are saying, follow us, do what we say, whether it be by threats or enticement, pointing you to the dragon subtly, right? It's not obvious. They're not saying, we're following the dragon. That, it wouldn't be a counterfeit version if they were doing that, okay? 
But that's the things of this world. You can think about many of the social movements in our society the last few years, the social movements that are saying, you will do this, or you will believe this, or you will be excluded from society. Those are manifestations in our world of the second beast that is desiring to conform the world to the image of the dragon. Okay? To receive the sign of the beast. Listen, this isn't a literal sign. We're not waiting for a day to get stamped on our foreheads and hands. And 666 is not a superstitious number. It's simply a depiction. It's, it is a triple version of being just short of seven. Okay? Perfect number of God. The trifecta of sevens would be the perfect picture of God in Revelation. 666, just not quite God. This is a counterfeit version. In chapter 14, the saints will receive the name of God on their foreheads and their hands. His name will be imprinted upon them. The counterfeit says, follow our version of God. All right? This is what's happening in Revelation. It's the warning to the church. Listen, here's the question. I'll ask it again, and I'll just tell you why it's important. What version are you following? What version are you following? Because you've got to think about this. Am I following the pleasures of the world? Am I living for today? Am I being satisfied with the things of this earth because of the, the appeal of earthly things that have signs and wonders seem to be so amazing and miraculous to me? And the first beast which seems to have authority, which ultimately leads to the dragon who only brings death and destruction. Am I following that version? It's counterfeit. It's fake. It's empty. It only leads to destruction. Or am I following the authentic version where only genuine hope can be found? You see, Revelation 13, by describing the unholy trinity and the follower of the unholy trinity, Revelation 13 gives us a stark contrast and it holds before us the authentic version of God and the work of God in this world. And the story goes something like this. God the Father who's seated on the throne, who has ordained all things that come to pass, who exercises all authority over all creation perfectly without fail, who is unchallenged in his authority, has ordained a plan of redemption. And he has desired to make a people for himself that they might forever glorify his holy name. And in the course of history, he sent forth his son, and the son says, I will be faithful to carry out the plan. I will do all that has been established before the foundation of the earth. And the Son comes, taking on human form, coming in flesh, being born of a virgin, living a perfect life. My wife read me this quote this past week from Octavius Winslow. And Octavius Winslow said, think about this, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who came to earth is the very God who created the tree or the cross that he would be hung on. He's the very one who nurtured the lives of the people who would crucify him, who said, you will have life and I will make you so that you will hang me on a cross. That's the Jesus who came to earth. Son of God became son of man, took on himself the sins of his people that they might be nailed to the cross, that he might be buried for their sin, that he might be raised to new life to conquer the grave and to conquer death and to conquer sin. That you might have life, that he might have death. He was raised again, not as a facade, a fake miracle, 
a cheap magic trick. He was raised again, testified to by over 500 people in the New Testament, raised from the dead, walked with his people, ascended into heaven, was seated on his throne, and from that throne he judges all the earth. And he intercedes before our Father on our behalf. And you know what he did when he ascended to heaven? He said, I send you my spirit. The actual real prophet, spirit of God, I send you my spirit. And he comes with power, and he will empower you not only to follow me by faith, but to do many marvelous works in my name, that I might be glorified and that all might be pointed to the Father who is to receive all glory and power and dominion forever and ever. That's the real story. If that's the story you believe, then you're being prepared for eternity. Then you are the bride of Christ. You'll see that character in the rest of this book. You're being made into a people. You're being molded and carved into the image of Christ Jesus. That he might present you before the throne of God. Perfect. Without blemish. For the eternal glory of the Father. That forever and ever and ever we might live with him. And declare his praises. That's the authentic version. Which story are you living by? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you, Father, planned before the foundation of the earth for the fall For the perfect world that you created to experience brokenness. For us to be born in sin apart from you. You planned it so that your marvelous grace and mercy might be manifested through your son Jesus Christ. That when the fullness of time had come. He would be sent forth and born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit that ultimately, as the plan unfolded, he would yield himself to death on the cross as part of the plan, that he would be killed, actually killed, and actually broken, and actually pierced. And actually his blood poured out and actually buried in a tomb and actually really dead and the veil would be torn in two and the earth would tremble and quake. And three days later, by your power, he would be resurrected the stone would be rolled away and the people who came to mourn his death wouldn't find his body. And the heavenly host and the angels would declare at that moment, he's not here. He is risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? 
We thank you, Jesus Christ, that you are now seated on high. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts, that we would not live by counterfeit hopes, that we would not rest in the things of this world, that we would find no lasting satisfaction in the fleeting pleasures, but that we would rest in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, in whose name we ask all of this. Amen.